I came home after that first meeting completely enthusiastic about this possibility. And I went to my wife there and she was pregnant with our second child and I said, I've decided what I'm going to do, I'm going to become a beekeeper. And she was absolutely horrified and she was like, what about our summer holidays? And I was like, well, we could be like a farmer's. <laughs> That's going to be a nightmare with small children and with our expectations for living in the city. Hello and welcome to episode three of This Amakena Life. Archipelago's all-new season of stories from and about the island of Amar in southern Copenhagen. I'm your host, James Clasper, and I've got to be honest, I'm hoping for a bit of a buzz around this episode. As soon as you start working with bees, you realise that honey is absolutely magical. It's just phenomenal that you kind of, you put these creatures out around the city and then over a few days and weeks and months, then gradually it accumulates this absolute treasure. That's right because in this episode, the Amakenas in question are the island's hard-working honeybees. And to find out all about them, I paid a visit to a remarkable organization based in Amma's historic Sundholm district. Come on around where you can see me, you're gonna have to bunch up a bit closer, come and stand here. Closer, 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 hi. My name's Oliver Maxwell, and I founded the Booby Project. I am British, but moved to Denmark 15 years ago and have been here ever since. Booby means city bee in Danish, so boo is uh, boo, a city, and uh, bee is a, is a bee. What we're looking to do in Booby is to really take this question of how we are together with nature in the time that we're living and in the future that we're looking into. So for us, we're not honey producers, but we're a community of bees and flowers and people. And what we're interested in is what can we do together so that that community thrives. Booby's story begins on a bleak midwinter night in 2009, shortly after Oliver left his job in the social enterprise sector. So I was cycling on my way to a Christmas party in East Landsborg, and I was going over Slusen down at, uh, at Sulhavn. And uh, at that time, you could kind of wriggle through a, a path, and um, there was a old, I think, a water pumping house or something. And then there were these fifteen or twenty polystyrene boxes behind a fence with a name on the fence. And I saw them there, and I was, you know, it was December, it was cold, there were bits of wet newspaper blowing around. And I just saw these boxes, and I was just intrigued. What were they? What lived there? What was kind of sheltering inside the, inside the box through the winter? Inside the polystyrene boxes, of course, were hundreds of sleeping honeybees. Oliver was intrigued. On the fence, there was a telephone number of the beekeeper, and I gave him a call and went for a coffee, and he was a lovely Argentinian immigrant who'd had bees back in Argentina and, and was now kind of keeping bees around the city. And we had a cup of coffee and I just kind of discovered this absolutely fascinating world of um, urban beekeepers in Copenhagen. But in particular, what I was interested in was um, honey and bees as a way of bringing different cultures together. Um, so I saw it as an opportunity to bring a kind of status and visibility um, partly to myself as an immigrant in the country, but also as a way of actually bringing something for other um, refugees, immigrants, um, multicultural influences that I've always felt have been a little bit lacking in Denmark. 
I'm uh, an anthropologist originally, so my interest has always been in this relationship between um, people, people and each other, people and the environment that we share with other species, animals and plants. My thought was actually from the start, not just around making the honey, but how to make it into a project that was bigger than that. So the first thing I did was actually to contact organisations that I thought that we could partner with. Then I was really lucky to meet a professional beekeeper who was just moving to Copenhagen and um, was interested in helping support and helping look after the bees. So it kind of fell together at the start with a combination of different organisations that wanted to join this place that we're in now that offered me a, a location, a room to work in, and then a professional beekeeper that was able to actually help us decide what equipment we needed, what kind of bees we needed, uh, show us how to use it um, and start looking after them in a way that actually you know, was, was professional and safe. As Oliver says, one of the pieces that fell into place for Booby was finding a home in Sunholm, a neighbourhood established over a century ago as a place for Copenhagen to send its beggars, vagrants and other down and outs. The Sunholm estate was built as a workhouse about 100 years ago, about uh, um, 1910. So a combination between a prison, a hospital um, and a factory. The idea was it was as part of this huge modernisation project of Denmark where poor people who didn't fit into society should be trained how to work and how to participate in society through hard work and disciplined practice. It's still run by the municipality, it's still the same sorts of people who are here. It's a little bit more free than it was then, so people can come and go as they please. But in essence, our society's attitude hasn't actually changed that much. Uh, we still are very fixed on this idea of work being the only way in which people can um, achieve a respectful position in society. And the result, actually, when you're on the ground is a bit more interesting because it's a place where it's quite a lot of conflict around this and different forms of resistance. So it's a place where the rules meet the reality of, of life and, and a lot of compromises are made and a lot of ways of living together have to be negotiated. That's what I think is fascinating and slipping between those cracks is pretty much where we are. The changes that we need to see in our society are going to grow out of those cracks. So um, rather than trying to ignore them, trying to understand them and see what kind of uh, weeds and forms of life are splitting them apart and growing out of them is, is what I think is fascinating about being here. Oliver has sought to ensure that people from very different social and professional backgrounds and living conditions have contributed to Booby. Today, it has a handful of employees, many volunteers, and a network of partners who contribute both practically and financially. And through various events and experiences, Booby strives to teach people about bees and their relationship with the city's flowers and human population. That's a flower has these petals that come out like this. They're like ears. So flowers are actually listening. Not that long ago, in fact, I joined a group of American exchange students who were visiting Booby as part of a class on sustainable design. Their tour ended with an unusual ceremony involving crocus bulbs. Just put your thumb into the soil a couple of centimetres and put the bulb in there. You wish it luck. Good luck to you, flower. And it will sit there through the winter and it will come up and then in the spring it will meet a bee 
and allow the cycle to continue, right? Got that? So can you imagine yourself doing it? All right, and then I'm gonna to count to three, and then when I count to three, I'd like you all to say, I am going to plant you in, and then say the place you're gonna plant it. Yeah? <laughs> Need to think a minute? You ready? One, two, three. I'm going to plant you in the Great. Thank you. Yes? And the bees say thank you as well. As soon as you start working with bees, you realise that honey is absolutely magical. It's just phenomenal that you kind of you put these creatures out around the city and then over a few days and weeks and months, then gradually it accumulates this absolute treasure. And uh, we have projects all over the city, some of them with municipal organisations. So we have, for example, the roof of the city hall. We uh, have a great relationship with the guards in there who know us now. So we kind of come in, let ourselves in through the back stairs, up the kitchen, past uh, the mayor's office, up a ladder onto the roof. And we've got uh, two or three hives that sit up there and, and produce honey. We have uh, projects like the Tivoli Gardens, where there's honey being produced. We work with big companies and conference centres like uh, Bella Centre down the road. They were one of the first companies like uh, Ersted Energy, IKEA. We have projects with a couple of housing associations working with long-term unemployed and disadvantaged peoples where we've been training them to look after bees. Altogether, we've got about 25 different sites around the city. Each one is different. Each place has a different way of working with the project. Sometimes it's the director who's taken an interest, sometimes it's the lady who makes the tea. But what tends to happen is that in each project, an identity attaches itself to the bees. They become the bees of that place, and we're connected to them. So this honey becomes a sort of gift, an invitation, uh, something that has much more meaning than just honey because it comes from the place where it is and because it's connected to these other social networks and animal networks, plant networks around the community that they're based in. This is, of course, a podcast series about Amma. And there's a question hanging over this episode, like a honeybee hovering over a hydrangea. Where exactly are Amma's bees? Well, we've got um, several projects in, in, in Amma, four or five different areas. Some of them are very interested in the colony hale, the uh, allotment gardens and the villas, down in the southern part, so the ones in Bella Centre, for example, you'd have thought they'd go into the common, but they don't. They actually fly the other direction, mostly. We have a nice little project in the forest right underneath the runway of the Copenhagen airport, where they fly around and they make a really fabulous honey from that area. We have uh, projects near the clover fields in the north, People are playing football there, but there's a lot of, you know, it's one of the last areas where there's kind of scrubland. It's a project where there are strange containers and migrant workers and uh, odd little companies doing obscure things with special effects. And they fly around there. The bees themselves, well, they're honeybees. They're honeybees that we've um, brought into the city with the purpose of making honey. And what's important for us in all of our projects is that each colony, each bee, each spoonful of honey needs to be connected to a broader um, broader story about the plants and animals and people that are in that area of all different kinds. Uh, so equally important for us is um, how we cultivate little wild spaces, how we plant flowers, how we can influence each other to um, enrich the flower beds, the 
sides of the roads, the rooftops, the minds of the people who live in Amma. One way to enrich mines is through honey, of course. So I had to ask, is there a particular Amma honey that locals should try to get a hold of? Well, we have this fermented honey that comes from the forest in, in, in Kongolan, and that's something we made completely by mistake. It tends to be a bit more humid down there, so we harvested it on a day when it was maybe a bit too humid or it wasn't quite ready at the same time as the other places. And uh, it was sitting in the bucket for a few months, and then it gradually and slowly began to ferment. And normally beekeepers would throw it away because I think in particular honey from rapeseed tends to be quite bitter and sour when it's fermented. But this has an absolutely extraordinary flavour. It's a kind of strangely champagne-like taste, some of it. And we kept it. And uh, every now and again we show it to um, famous chefs from some of the best restaurants in Copenhagen and they absolutely fall over backwards. They're like, wow, this is just incredible. Like, you can't make this stuff deliberately. It can only come as an accident of nature. So what you can do is you can take a stick and you have to try a couple of them. So that one is one of the darker ones. This one is from... Uh, as part of their tour, the American students got to taste much of Booby's honey. Uh, this one from uh, Amar. So you guys can start with that. And buy pots of their favourite. Indeed, selling honey is a big part of Booby's business model. But in truth, it has a much greater purpose, one that began with a reconsideration of the very language it uses. What we realised after doing this for a few years was that um, this wasn't about being honey producers. This was about a community that is more than human, of animals, plants and people, of bees and flowers and people, and about how we could develop things that would make that community thrive. Once we realised that, we realised that the language we use around business just doesn't make sense. The language we use around talking to nature doesn't make sense. It's putting us in the wrong direction. Calling honey a product is almost insulting to what it can actually do. We refer to it as an invitation because we like to see honey as having an agency of its own. It wants something. It wants us to do something. I hate this idea of a consumer. You know, our whole society tends to think that um, humans are predictable robots who, as long as you identify their characteristics, then they'll do what you tell them to do. I don't think that's the case. I think anyone from two years old to 120 years old is able of making intelligent, emotionally guided, responsible decisions about their lives and their behaviour and that that is what we need to exploit. The conventions about how we run a business in terms of creating a product, creating a volume, creating economies of scale, identifying a supply and demand and so on, those are things that are made up. They're not any rule of nature, any particular way of doing things. They're stuff that has emerged in the last couple of hundred years as a convention of doing things that has one purpose and that is to accumulate capital and money at the expense of other species in our, in our area. Finding an alternative that, an alternative language, is so important. And we need to do that on every scale that we can. There's a lot of talk at the moment about regeneration. And regeneration is something that I find really inspiring. Regeneration is beyond sustainability. So the idea is that we humans have as much potential to do good for the living world as we have to destroy it. And we need to facilitate the emergence of that potential in ourselves, in each other, in other species. 
regeneration often is put out in the countryside in terms of agriculture and it's all about soil health the soil community talk about the bacteria and worms and so on and how they can support each other to create a healthy healthy soil i think that when we take that idea into an urban context and see our urban cities as living systems then we can actually be inspired by what's happening down in the soil in our relationships here the city is also a living system it's also got trees and plants and people and animals and insects and we can regenerate those relationships just as successfully and vitally as we can a spoonful of soil in the countryside heady stuff may be but as oliver says anyone can get involved and help play a regenerative role and you never know it might even change the way you experience the city Booby is a community and it's an open-ended community with no center and no real edge so i mean uh, plant a flower notice the bees and other insects in your front garden on your way to work in the playground when you're playing with the kids taste the honey share it be curious about the uh, other species that we share our city with bees are just one of the kind of species that we share the city with that we become companions with if you begin to look around you see that the city is full of these encounters between humans and other animals that are absolutely magical and can tell us a lot about how we can live in the future it might be the swarms of jellyfish that kind of slowly pump down the canal towards the autumn and winter uh, it might be this um, magical explosion of flowers from linden trees that happens during a few days at the end of june which is you know a, a traditional moment in in north european culture for tens of thousands of years it might be the return of the swifts that we all suddenly notice in the middle of may when suddenly they're back you know they know the city better than we do they come back to the same street and fly all the way to north africa and back again there are these moments where we can recognize the magic of those stories and then weave them into a way of living in the city that i think gives us the possibility of creating more space in the city but also the emotional tools we need to be able to engage with what's happening in the rest of the world You've been listening to episode 3 of This Amakena Life, a new season of Archipelago all about the island of Ama. If you've enjoyed listening to it, feel free to share the episode with friends and family or leave a nice review wherever you get your podcasts. The music in this episode is by two artists, Scenery and Squares and Triangles. You can find links to their music in the show notes along with more information about Booby. Many thanks for listening and I'll uh, be back with a brand new episode very soon.